0: Uh, just, just a note. Even as uh, people go down, we Advent starts next week. In case you, uh, it's coming fast. I think it's thirty-one days to Christmas. Actually, um, I know that because we have a little thing now where we write that down every day in our house. So it's like I think it's thirty-one days. But Advent begins next week, and we are looking for Advent readers. So if you would like to be a part of that. Um, Please do not delay in speaking to me. Um, Every week of Advent, we like to have a little bit of scripture uh, tied to Advent, and we invite the congregation to be part of that by reading. So um, please make a point of contacting me, speaking with me. You can text me, you can email me, whatever, phone me. Every single way, get in touch with me. How's everyone doing this morning? Good. It's nice, nice weather. Kind of feels almost balmy out there. I'm good. Yeah, thanks, Susie. I look good? (laughs) Well, there's the little boost. (laughs) Thank you. Sorry, I'm just uh, working on getting this. My iPad is old enough that when it gets to a certain level now, it likes to decrease in battery quickly, so I realize I better turn it off uh, this morning. So just uh bear with me as i as I get my notes. um I feel like there's something else I need to mention too, but i it's failing me, so maybe it's go bombers or something along the way. <laughs> yeah, I almost almost wore a jersey this morning, so i if i if I don't hold that against me if that's that's not cool, but I almost did, so maybe I should have. So we are, um, we're in this series, uh, I'm assuming it's behind me, um, Gospel Clarity Amidst Cultural Confusion, and uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 6 this morning, together. There, there was a, uh, in, in September, the, uh, the founders of a, a Christian organization in South Carolina that, uh, that sought to help people who identified as LGBTQ, this organization, they um, th- so the, the founder of it who, um, so this organization helps people find freedom in Jesus from, from being LGBTQ, the founder came out and admitted that he himself was a homosexual and he renounced all of the work that they'd been doing and all of the stuff that had been going on. And, uh, and so of course this, this hit the news wire uh, various media sources picked it up, and, and it was held up as another example of how harmful this conversion therapy is. And that, that's the name now that we're, uh, that's being bandied about in the media. If you hear that, conversion therapy, what that is is Christians who believe that Jesus can set people free from sin in their lives. But it's, that's what it's called. And so conversion therapy, it's regarded... Um, As incredibly dangerous in society. Uh, It's it's seen as fostering shame and condemnation in people. Uh, This is who you are. This is who your identity is. Um, People should never seek to try and change that in you. This is who you were meant to be and so that it's it's a very hot-button topic and I can't totally speak for this particular instance but knowing people who work in this field they have a genuine passion to set people free from homosexual lifestyles and tendencies through the healing power of Jesus. And we believe that. We believe that Jesus can heal us from anything that we're walking through that is sinful. That doesn't go over well in our culture. And yet, we come to verses today in 1 Corinthians 6 that provide a lot of clarity for us of what it means to have a biblically centered ethic when it comes to sexuality. And not just homosexuality, but sexuality in its entirety. Uh, And so we're gonna gonna talk about this. And that whole thing of a a biblical ethic when it comes to sexuality, I I would say it's being attacked in culture, it's being mocked in culture, uh, it's being held up as just ridiculous in culture. It's, it's also being accepted and questioned um, by portions of the church now. Um, it, it's happening at a rapid pace where you'll hear about this denomination or this segment of a church or whatever that, that has now changed their approach and their view on sexuality. This is truly probably one of the touchiest subjects when we talk about gospel clarity amidst cultural confusion. We are hitting something or we're looking at something that is a powder keg this morning. The, the Barna Group, um, how many of you have heard of the Barna Group before? Great, great Christian organization in the States. They do a lot of research into current cultural trends. They do a lot of surveys. Um and what's kind of happening in society. They, they did a study last year, they put out a, a wide-ranging study on Generation Z. So this is kids that are born between 1999 and 2015. So that, that would incorporate some, some of you here. This is kind of known as the, the app-savvy, uh, tech-savvy, tech-addicted generation. They, they have never known a time in their life that there wasn't smartphones. And there wasn't Wi-Fi. So, and that, that has a massive impact on this generation. I and mean, we kind of joke about that, but it's, it's actually serious. Um, and this study looked at how this generation looks at sexuality amidst other things. And so it wasn't just Christian Gen Zers. It was a whole plethora of them. 69% of them said that it's acceptable if you're born one gender to feel like another gender. So 69% of all of them, 44% of those who identified in the survey as Christians said, yeah, it's okay. So almost half of Christians said, you're born a male, you want to feel like a female? It's good. 12% of the group identify as something other than heterosexual. That's three times uh, what the rest of society uh, is at. So, that's, that's a massive jump in one generation, three times. And, and the point is made um, in, in the study, when you read it, is that due to smartphones, due to social media, there is way more of this hyper-focus on this particular thing of sexuality in this generation than there has been in other generations. It's interesting too that Barna found when they did their own research in this that of those identifying as Christians in the study, these kids, they said really only one in 11 of them are engaged Christians in that their faith shapes their belief and practices. So take just, just let that rest on you for a moment. So of the 44% who said, I'm I'm okay with this. And I identify as a Christian, Varn is saying, actually the the percentage of you that are actually faith and and following the way of Jesus is directing your life is minuscule. We're, We're facing a huge challenge when it comes to gospel clarity, biblical truth in this culture. We are facing a huge challenge with the youth of today, with kids that are coming up. It is something that is significant. That biblical truth would define our lives. That, that is something that we are facing that is going to be a great battle. Being committed to the way of Jesus, not as I feel the way of Jesus should be, but as the way of Jesus is revealed in Scripture. Those can be two very different things. This is what's at stake in our culture. This is what's at stake in our homes. This is what's at stake in the church. So I'm thankful for this passage in 1 Corinthians this morning. I'm really thankful because it provides wonderful clarity for us. Not just what is sinful and wrong, but what it means to have a sexual ethic that puts God right in the center of all things. And so this morning, I'm gonna what we're talking about, what I've called this is God-infused bodies. Because I think there's something here of having our bodies infused with God that Paul's getting at, that is at the center of all things. Because it, it seems that Paul is unpacking how we see our bodies, how we treat our bodies, and how we treat them sexually, as a central issue when it comes to the pursuit of God's ways in our lives. That's not disconnected. That we're called to live in a very distinctive way. That there is a distinctive way that followers of Jesus live as outlined by Scripture. And so we're going gonna to pick up the text this morning in verse 9 of uh, 1 Corinthians 6. If you want to turn there, we're going to read the first couple verses and then I'll, I'll stop and get into the first bit. So 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, it'll be on the screen behind me too. And Paul says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We we might um we might think that it's a strange transition here in First Corinthians six. Paul's he's talking about Christians suing one another, and then he gets into this whole thing of those who will not inherit the kingdom of God, and, and specifically, it becomes he begins to focus on sexuality in large part. And we might think that's strange, but the connecting point is the same here, and that's that's what here's what I think the connecting point is when we see our own rights as more important than our responsibility to Jesus and the church, we're in trouble. Whether it's lawsuits or whether it's sexuality. Why shouldn't I do as I feel like? I'll sue you, I'll sue who I want, I'll sleep with who I want. That's the defiant cry of our culture right now. I'll do as I feel I want to do. And that's that's what's on display here, the Corinthians. And so Paul, he starts out and he says, don't be deceived. Right off, he says, don't be deceived. The pressure for the Corinthians was to go along with the cultural norms of the day. If you read what was happening in the Roman Empire, um, even the amount of sexuality that had become full-blown um, with the emperors and all sorts of stuff. I was reading some stuff about Nero and how he took a young boy and treated him as his wife and, and Nero did all sorts of just disgusting things but he wasn't the only one. There was the emperors as a, as a whole the, the rampant kind of deviant sexuality and, and whatever you kind of want to do attitude in the Roman Empire was, was going. So We don't know. Like, was the pressure to conform as intense as it is, as it feels like today? I tend to think it probably was, based on what we know from history. But just like today, what we see here is there was justification to say this is why it's okay to indulge in sin. That that's really what was happening in Corinth. That's and it's the same thing that's happening today. And Paul says, don't be deceived. And it's, it's a strong and a clear warning, really clear in the Greek of how he's bringing it across. And the, the words that he's saying there, they convey this, this danger of wandering off and getting into all sorts of sorts of falsehood, diving into all sorts of things that are false, false teaching, false behavior. Paul's saying, don't, don't wander off course. This is really important. The list that Paul writes It's pretty similar to the one that he had just uh, written in 1 Corinthians 5, previously in the letter that we looked at last week. And then, but he adds men who practice homosexuality. And from there, the whole area of sexuality becomes his focus in these verses this morning. And so, yes, homosexuality is being addressed. It's not just homosexuality, but the teaching on it is actually really clear. The Greek there it brings together two words, I have them on the screen here, that basically, all of those who practice homosexuality, all of those who are on the receiving end, the passive, the active partners, all who practice and take part, Paul's saying, that's all immoral, every single part of it. There's, and there, there's been, there's been this fairly recent move in Christian circles that's, that's happening where we want to cast doubt on this. We want to cast doubt on this. Other passages in the New Testament suggest that uh, this text here is referring to sex with boys or that it's only deviant homosexual acts that Paul's referring to and he's only, there's only a small segment he's talking about. The Greek doesn't suggest it at all. The Greek clearly says homosexuality in every part is sinful in the practice of it. There's a, now, okay, that, what I just said takes us into a minefield in our culture. That is just like, a mu- you are walking through stuff that, where bombs are just going off if you start to think or talk about that. Because acceptance and affirmation of all sexual choice, that has become the norm. That is clearly the norm that we're dealing with. There's a quote in that article from Barna, um, on the Gen Z study that, that says this, members of Generation Z hold few things dearer than acceptance and inclusivity. They view many moral stances, such as opposing gay marriage, as social stances in line with racism. To them, acceptance means affirmation. So that's, that's what we're dealing with. That's the trend of culture that we're dealing with. And I think that this is, this is just clearly the norm now in culture. The study noted that half of all Generation Z kids, they spend over four hours a day on their phones. A quarter of them spend over eight hours a day on their phones. So just, just think about that for a second. That The bulk of time spent on phones is consuming mass amounts of entertainment, mass amounts of social media, and... The sexual ethic in all those things, social media, entertainment, has changed. Everything's changed. So now we have individualism, being experiential, individual expression, authentic self, gender fluidity. All of that stuff is the stuff that's flowing in culture. Mix that with the idea that there is no external authority anymore. That 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 doesn't exist anymore. That the only authority is your individual will. What you feel like doing. Autonomy. I want to do what I want to do. So that's, again, that's why accountability, when we talk about accountability in the church, that's why it's a gospel issue. Because we will bend to want to live as I want to do what I want to do. We need to be accountable. So the, the prevailing view is Love whoever you want, be whoever you want, have sex with whoever you want, no commitment, no responsibility. Just go for it. That's why we justify murdering millions, thousands of babies. We murder babies because we want to justify, I can do what I want with my body. Combine that with the rise of digital capitalism in our culture, so big business like Amazon, they're huge, they're pervasive. Big data, so that's all of social media. And this this stuff, if you don't realize, there's algorithms that are programmed that affect your brain. The smartest people on earth are working on these algorithms. They're programming phones so that it actually affects how your brain thinks. So big big business big data and big porn those three have an ability to shape our inner world that is unparalleled in human history you may not even realize it how your phone is actually changing how your brain is wired so i say all that because the cultural pressure when it comes to sexuality it is so pervasive The pressure to conform to a liberal, small l liberal sexual ideology becomes intense. So the sexual ideology, the the sexual ethics of the Old Testament, the New Testament writers, and Jesus, and that's been held to for 2,000 years in the church, that is now a huge hang-up for massive amounts of the population, including those in the church. It's becoming this, I'm going to leave the church over this issue. It's been been held for 2,000 years in the church, that's what we're facing. So maybe you hear all that and you go, well, why don't we just give in? It's, it's easy. Let's just give in. Why, why resist, Paul? It's becoming so mainstream. We're just talking about love. We're just talking about people who want to be with who they want to be with. Just so we need to be solidified and encouraged by the word to hold the truth. Because Paul says, don't be deceived. There are behaviors and life choices that will restrict us from the kingdom of God. He's saying what's at stake is actually the kingdom of God. There is a way of the culture around us that seeks to align us to live to certain ways that is against the kingdom of God. And Paul isn't, he's not shy here about pointing at what's at stake. What's at stake is the inheritance, your inheritance in the kingdom of God. The, the here and the now to be entered into, that the, to be experienced, the presence of God now, and what is to come. Revelation 21:22 it speaks of this reality too in the new heavens and the new earth. And it says there, nothing unclean is going to be present All falsehood will not be there. Sexual immorality will be absent in the new heavens and the new earth. And and yet we are immersed in a culture that keeps hammering us that this is good, this is beautiful, this is lovely, it's to be embraced, accept it, celebrate it, come on board. The layers of deception are real, and they're actually appealing, and they use really bright colors. I've dug into this a little bit in the past, but it's important to note that dealing with feelings of homosexual attraction or having, feeling like there's, you have tendencies, it's not what Paul's speaking of here. This is clearly those who are engaging, have chosen to engage in the physical act and the behavior of sexuality. The embracing of, the embracing of it as an identity, celebrating it as good. That, that's not what Paul's, Paul's not talking about if you struggle with an area of sin in your life that you're looking to Jesus for to find freedom. That's not what he's talking about. But the, the whole, this whole issue I think you'll agree, has become politically and socially weaponized. Like, it's it's just, it's so weaponized in our culture. Don't talk about it. Get in line. If you don't align with acceptance of this, if you don't align with affirmation of this, you are less than human. You're not really fully human if you don't align with this. So standing for a biblical view and a biblical ethic on sexuality, it will not be easy. It isn't easy. I don't believe it will be easy in the days to come. But it's specifically verse 11 that affirms this for us. It, it almost, verse 11 has sort of a baptismal liturgy ring to it there. It speaks to this cleansing as we come to submit our lives to Jesus. We are washed, we're made holy, we're made new creations by God. And so we live distinctively different. Paul says, Corinthians, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were redeemed, you're made holy. You are distinctive. You don't you you were like that, you don't live that way. Paul keeps he keeps coming back to that, right? With the Corinthians. Like we we are distinctive. You're made new. And so Paul then, he begins to unpack in greater depth what what this means for those who follow the way of Jesus. So let's read verses 12 to 14. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. So what I think Paul's getting at there for us is your body is meant for the Lord. Paul begins verse 12 there. He uses this slogan twice that had become pretty trendy in Corinth. All things are lawful for me. In fact, he uses it another two times later on in Corinthians. So he uses it four times. He brings out this slogan that it obviously becomes sort of this, this catchphrase for the people. This celebration of permissiveness. All things are lawful for me. So I'm, I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to justify what I do because it's lawful. Now, whether that was also part of Corinthian culture or whether they had sort of misconstrued the whole grace, freedom, and Christ element, and they're like, all things are good. I'm going to do what I want. And Paul's saying... Uh, hold up for a second. So think about like, what, are, what are some trendy slogans, what are some hashtags, if you will, in our culture that people gravitate to? And I'm, there's probably a whole list. I, like, think about you only live once. That's become pretty trendy. Do what you want, you only live once. Do whatever feels good. What you do with your body. Paul, what you do with your body is your business. How dare you tell me what to do with my body? That's become socially weaponized. So these th- that was going on in Corinth, there's stuff that goes on in our culture too. And what, what Paul does here is he he doesn't just challenge the cultural norms, but he zeroes in on in on the deception that's underpinning and justifying the bad stuff happening in the church. Because he actually what he's doing here is he's cutting right to the core issue of rights. It's all about what the Corinthians thought, this is my right. Because it's catal- rights is the, the catalyst for the justification of selfish behavior. I'm going to do what I like because I have rights. And he's doing this because he's going to he's get to his key point. Your body. He's saying, Corinthians, your body, your physical body, and your actions of that body are meant for the Lord. This thought of all things being lawful, permissible for me. That, that sounds eerily familiar to us. It, between, so between 1 Corinthians 6 and then 1 Corinthians 11, in that span here, Paul uses the root word for rights 16 times. He's clearly with the Corinthians. He's getting to this thing of this is what you think you can do and this is what the gospel says. So he's, and he keeps going after it, and Paul's confronting the Corinthians with this insistence of their rights. He's saying, "All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful." That's that's a big difference. And what I, what I think Paul's really smart at is he's he's taking the cultural nuances of the day, the norms for the Corinthians, and he's making it a gospel issue. And we, and we need this because we can be duped into believing and advocating for things that sound fairly good, they, or they align with our bias, or they're culturally embraced. And we have to ask ourselves, but do they align with the gospel? How do they align with scripture? He's saying, you say all things are lawful, but he's saying, I will not be dominated by anything. So that that you can do whatever you want well mm, what Paul's saying here that that I will not be dominated by anything also means I will not be enslaved to anyone or I will not allow anything anything to get control of me. So just think about that in the whole realm of I can do what I want. And Paul he, he's going to unpack this more later on to, for, the, for the Corinthians but what, what this is meant to provoke in us is a question along the lines of if I am consistently concerned about my rights, if my rights are really, really important to me, like the Corinthians, how can I genuinely be free to respond to what the Lord wants me to do? And, and I might say, well well, I am. But only if the Lord tells me. Anyone else tries and tells me, And you go, well, isn't isn't that what was happening with Paul and the Corinthians? Paul's coming to them and they're saying, no, Paul, I'm not listening to you. Then then Paul, he he, he makes a stomach reference. Like, what's with the stomach reference? Like It's kind of, what he's doing is he's quoting another slogan of the day that seems to have been used by Those wanting to justify every physical indulgence. And he makes it clear. Look, there is a world of difference between what we put in our stomachs and what we do with other parts of our body. They're not the same. You like your vanilla Coke indulgence, Paul? I like my sexual immorality. Paul's saying, that is not the same thing. You can disagree that I like vanilla Coke and it may not be the best for me. But that doesn't, it's not the same as I can do whatever I want with my body. Paul's, he's putting the spotlight on this obsession with my rights. That's becomes, it becomes entrenched in our lives. And the point he's making that if anything, if if there's anything that I cannot give up, that becomes an infringement of, on my freedom in Christ. So I, if I don't want to give something up, am I really free in Christ? Because to be free in Jesus means I relinquish my rights. I'm not my own. I'm, I'm bought with a price. I am bought with the biggest, heaviest price in the world. All of us are. There, there's not a price that's higher than that what I was bought with. So to say, well, it's my body. I can do what I want. It's my rights. No, that that doesn't align with you were bought with a price and you are owned And you owe your life to Jesus. It's it's inner freedom in Christ that releases me from the deception of my rights. So if you battle the thing of, "I, I want to do this, it's my life, I like my rights, you can't tell me what to do, are you experiencing inner freedom in Christ? And Sexuality and our actions, behavior, choices, is always at the forefront of this issue. It's lots of other stuff, but sexual stuff is always there. Sexual stuff is always there. Sexual immorality is defined by what I want, what I can get, what makes me feel good, what brings me pleasure. That's what leads to marriages being broken up. That's what leads to affairs. I want this. I like this. And there's a trail of brokenness that's left behind because people just want to do what they want to do. And it doesn't, consequences, whatever. We don't talk about that. That's, that's what happens. We have, we have to reconcile these verses because they oppose what We are told to believe and embrace as good in our culture, perhaps maybe even in our families. We've been brought up like this, that I can do what I want. And Paul's saying, no, your your body's actually meant for the Lord. Your body is meant to serve the purposes of God. It's a complete change. So sexual perversion, sexual immorality, as defined by God's word, is against God's design. It's against His will for His kingdom. It's against His will for those He has created. And to deny that and go, no, I, I know better. No, I, you know what? I, I'm going to live this way and I, because I feel this way or I'm going to accept this. That, that can disqualify us from the kingdom of God. Why? Like that's 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 strong. You could, you could people would say, "Well, that's that's harsh," because our life in Christ was bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus on the cross. Our life is only the only reason I have life is because Jesus has died for me. The only way that I have life, the only way I ever have true resurrection life, is through the resurrecting power of Jesus. That's it. Otherwise, I will die and I will not have eternal life. So it's impossible, it is impossible to inherit and experience eternal life apart from that. That's what Paul's saying to the Corinthians. You you were bought with a price. Your body is not your own. It it really isn't because you've been raised with Christ. And so we are to live now in the here and now, in 2019 and beyond, with the attitude that our bodies are meant to serve the purposes and plans of God. That I don't serve my own selfish desires and my own selfish feelings and whatever I want. Let's read verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ... is a temple of the holy spirit within you whom you have from god you are not your own for you were bought with a price so glorify god in your body i think what paul really wants us to see from these verses is glorify god in your body (laughs) that's why he ends with it glorify god in your body The word, that that word I used in the title, infused, it means to fill or to pervade or permeate. And I, I think that that sums up God's desire for his presence here in our bodies. That he would fill us to that extent. That we would not be filled with other things. That we would be infused with God. And our sexual behavior has a direct impact on that. That's what Paul's saying here. Oz Guinness, he's a Christian theologian. You may have heard of him. He, uh, he speaks of how this passage reveals that our human bodies, he says, the ones that grow old and tired, the ones that sweat, the ones that bleed, the ones that vomit, all that good stuff that, that grow pot bellies and get, get all that stuff, he said, that body is either instruments for good or for evil. It's, it's our bodies He says that we're urged to present as living sacrifices. Not not our minds, our bodies. Obedience and disobedience is expressed in our bodies, not not elsewhere. And so it's interesting, right? Because God addresses us as people with bodies. He's addressing us as people with physical bodies, not just people with minds, not just people with emotions and feelings. You have a body that we're not talking about adultery in theory. We're not talking about immorality in theory. What we physically do and what we physically don't do matters to God. So Paul, he paints this, this vivid picture here of our bodies being joined to Jesus, and he contrasts it with this act of sexual immorality, a really disgusting act. Now, th- this is why sexual activity outside of marriage... Outside of covenant is not something to be taken lightly because that's another thing that's being questioned now by younger generations. Well, Why why would I need to be married? Well, there are spiritual ties that are made through the act of sexual intercourse. Intimacy that doesn't have intention, communion without commitment. Our bodies are meant for the Lord, Paul's saying. Our bodies are meant for your spouse. He gets into that at the beginning of chapter seven. It's not, your body is not your own. It's for the Lord and it's actually for your spouse. And so that's why sex within the covenant of marriage, it's such a blessing because there's this spiritual union that takes place. There is a commitment there. There's covenant there that points to the union of Jesus and his church. It's a powerful, powerful picture that we're meant to see. It's, not, it's a reality, actually, of what Jesus is doing between him and his church. And so, having, having soul ties to other things in our lives, from sexual relationships, from pornography, from all sorts of entertainment that, you know, kind of just skirts the line, it, it's not something to be justified. Paul saying we're meant to be joined with the Lord. Our spirit is to become one with Jesus. That's, that's an incredible verse there. You're, you're meant to become one with the Lord. And so Paul, he responds to this reality of what's happening with the Corinthians with two strong reactions and he says never, this should never ever happen and he says flee from sexual immorality. So We need to put safeguards in our our lives, I think, to help us run because culture is really, really, it's highly sexualized and it's pervasive everywhere you look. And he says sexual sin, it's, it's different from other sin in that we make it against our own bodies and it has a profoundly negative effect on us. The, the, the moment that the rush of sexual gratification is over, people, they, they've talked about this, and we know this, the feelings of guilt and shame are immense. They're almost instantaneous on people. And the only hope for that, the only hope to be free of that is found in Jesus. And so Paul comes back to reminding the Corinthians why are our sexual behavior with our bodies, why it's it's just so important. He said, the Holy Spirit himself dwells in these fragile, decaying bodies that week by week, year by year, are getting older. And Paul says, the Holy Spirit himself dwells in that physical body. You ever think about how Absolutely, profoundly incredible that is. Like, this is the belief that we hold to in Jesus, that the Holy Spirit dwells in this physical body. It's about the increase of God's holy and awesome presence within us. And I, I, think, like, I think we read this and we know it and we talk about it and it's, and it's so commonplace. I, I think when we think about it, we can hardly fathom this. I think when you begin to read the Old Testament, you begin to look at the enormity of what it meant for God's Spirit to dwell in, with His people in the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies, and you begin to think about that, and you go, okay, so then that same Holy Spirit presence of God dwells in this? Like, I, I don't, I, you with me? Like, I think we have a really hard time fathoming that at times. Like, how, how does that make sense? Uh, and we're not, I'm not going to stand up here and provide you a scientific explanation for why that makes sense. But it's, it's really true. The God of the universe, his, who's so powerful and, and consuming, and his presence dwells inside of his people. And you know, one of the reasons I was thinking about this this week, I think one of the reasons we find this hard to process or to make sense of is because we look at ourselves and we judge ourselves, and we're not happy with this. There's elements of my body maybe I'm not happy with, or I wish it would be different, or why can't I look like that person? Or and 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 or there's we we know like well I, I I'm dealing with a you know a, a knee issue, or I'm dealing with a back issue, and. My body, like, there's just, and we feel all sorts of emotions about our bodies and and how that comes off. Things that we, we don't like about ourselves. So, hear this this isn't really about your body. This isn't about, do I measure up to a certain physical characteristic? Do I meet the mark that my physical body has to look a certain way or come off a certain way? That's not what Paul's getting at. So we don't have to be judgmental. It doesn't matter what you look like or what you're struggling with. God's Holy Spirit dwells in you. It doesn't matter what you look like compared to another person. God's Spirit dwells in you. about his presence and his desire to fill you. Yes, there is rebuke in these verses and there's warnings, yes, but there's an invitation. Don't miss this, church. God desires to fill you with his presence, to be a living temple of his presence, Yes, there is submission required. We were bought with the precious blood of Jesus. We have to surrender our rights. If you, don't, if you can't surrender your rights and you deal with it's my life and I want to live it the way I want to live, and we can do that in the church, and we can have a facade of I'll, I'll look a certain way, but when it comes down to it, I'm doing with my life what I want. If we struggle with that, that's an issue of Surrender. But surrender, surrender of our rights is where we find the presence of God. That's where we find God coming and dwelling with us. So we surrender our desires. We surrender our sinful temptations, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And there we deal with that. You will go from here and you will deal this week with sinful temptations in your life. But we need to hear the invitation is God's presence is beyond compare. There is nothing that equates to that. This flies so directly in the face of our culture. Our culture is image and achievement obsessed, which means that you need to shape an outer self that looks as attractive as it can to others. Curate yourself. Make your image a certain way. Carefully manage how you come across. Carefully manage what you look like. Carefully manage what people see about you. Self expression is all about being seen as good in the moment. How do I look in the moment? Culture is obsessed with that. And I think what Paul would say to us is don't get caught up in that. Get obsessed with the pursuit of God's presence. Get obsessed with having more and more and more and more of God infuse your body. If I can say, if I can use obsession with that, uh, that might be skirting the line. You know what I mean. But there, there, is, there is a direct link here to how we live, how we behave and act, specifically as it relates to holiness and sexuality and our bodies being temples of the Holy Spirit. That, that's the correlation that we're meant to see. How I live, how I behave, things I look at. So, I want to give you some takeaways for this morning. I want to end, give you some takeaways. Raji, you can you can come up. God's plan is to fill the earth with more and more of his presence. That is God's big plan. He's filling this earth with more and more and more of his presence. We're invited to be a part of that renewal. I'm not talking about a program or a certain program of renewal. I'm talking about personal renewal that comes into your life that fills you more and more and fills our church. That that kind of personal renewal that's happening. There's, there's a theme here. I think, I think there's a theme here in these verses and, and throughout other places in Scripture. But the theme is that in, in there's only human life. Human life is only truly functioning, if you will, as a truly functioning system when we live as temples filled with God's presence. So if you're not living with being filled with God's presence, you're not living the life that God desires for you. And I think that Scripture would, would support that. And I, and I think that's an incredible thought for us to to live with in our lives. So here's here's the takeaways. I got four. They'll be on the screen behind me. Resist temptation in your life by pursuing the truth of God's word. That's it. That's paramount. You battle, you resist, you overcome temptation by being in God's word. Second, ask yourself, how important are my rights to me? or how am I with submission in my life? Three, how is my sexual life? Am I living in purity? And four, am I pursuing Jesus above all things? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your incredible desire to be with us, to abide with us, for us to know you, for us to have deep personal relationship, and your desire to be with your people and your desire for your church. Jesus, we recognize we don't even understand that. We don't fathom the depth of that. We we try to grasp what we can out of the incredible truth in scripture and in your word. But Jesus, we are in awe of, of what you want to do in us. And Lord, we ask you that in a, in a culture where it just feels like there's such a battle to live according to your word and according to truth. And Lord, to not be discouraged or to not be caught up and to feel like somehow we're, we're, we're always swimming against the tide. Jesus, would you help us? Jesus, would you sustain us by the truth of your word? I pray that we would be nourished, sustained, immersed in your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that as we are, that you would fill us with your spirit, that we would recognize who we are, how distinctive we are, not because of ourselves, but because of you. And Jesus, I pray that we would rest in that truth. And Lord, that we would stand firm in that truth, regardless of what happens in culture. Jesus, we love you, and we worship your holy name. Amen.